If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Mark Gospel chapter 4. Mark's Gospel chapter 4. Thank you, Mar and Gary and, and uh, Leela. <laughs> I would not forget, I might forget some people, but not you, Leela. They do a good job, don't they? Amen. Yeah, amen. Let me give you some background. The author of the Gospel of Mark, although anonymous, uh, early tradition contributes it to, attributes it to a man by the name of John Mark. Now John Mark was a close associate of the Apostle Peter. He was also a companion to Paul and Barnabas as they were on their first missionary journey. And as Mark the fourth chapter opens up, uh, it's probably somewhere around A.D. 28. And Jesus is now fully into his ministry. He's been baptized by John the Baptist. He's been tempted in the wilderness by Satan. He's already selected the 12 disciples. He's performed numerous miracles. And he's already preached his Sermon on the Mount. And as we start Mark chapter 4, um, Jesus is beginning to teach some, a group of people that are there. And as would so often happen, all of a sudden, the people find out that Jesus is there and a great multitude gathers. So much so that Jesus gets into the boat and he pushes out from the shore a little bit. And he starts, he begins to teach them. And Jesus so often taught in parables. As a matter of fact, about a third of Jesus' teachings, you'll find, are in parables. And a parable is a brief story from everyday life told by the way of an analogy to, to illustrate or reveal a spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. And a parable is not a two male cows out in the pasture. That is not a parable, okay? So, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 2. Then Jesus taught them many things by parables, and he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. And some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it gave no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. And Jesus said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now I think it's interesting that Jesus starts the parable by saying, Listen. And you know, and then he ends the parable by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So if Jesus is doing this, it must be something important in this parable. And then in verse uh, 10 and 11, it tells us that, well, let me just read it. But when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And Jesus said to them, 
To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are on the outside all things come in parables. So, uh, and that's what he said. And so the word there, he tells the disciples, to you has been given uh, to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Now, if you look at that word mystery in the Greek, okay, it actually means hidden treasures or truths. And it means, if you look at it in the Greek, the full explanation, it means something formerly hidden, but that now is revealed, which the natural person, just in the natural, cannot understand except by divine revelation. As a matter of fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, I believe it is, it says, the eye has not seen and the ear hasn't heard. And he's quoting from the Old Testament. And neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But it doesn't stop there. That's where a lot of people stop. But they've got to read the very next verse. And it says, but God has revealed them to us by his Holy Spirit. In other words, as a Christian... When you make a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And which can and does reveal to us the truth, the mysteries, the hidden truths in this book that the natural man without God doesn't know and can't know. He just looks at it purely from the natural man. And if you look at the Gospel of John chapter 14 and 16, he tells you, Not only does that indwelling Holy Spirit bring to your remembrance the words of Christ, but he'll lead and guide you into all truth. And Jesus said, my words are truth. And he said, I don't speak on my own authority, but I'll tell you the things that I hear. Well, who's he talking about? He's saying what the Father is talking to him about. He'll reveal that to you. And then he says, and I'll tell you and show you things to come. And so as a Christian, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit who will reveal these mysteries to us. And then also in verse 11, I want you to notice something. To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God, and if you'll notice in the New Testament, the kingdom of heaven are kind of um, used a lot. Um, As a matter of fact, the kingdom of God was used 77 times in the Bible, 55 in the New Testament. And Jesus was, see, until Jesus came to earth, Jesus was the kingdom of God come to earth in his personage. The Bible tells us that. And so the kingdom of God, a kingdom is any place under the authority of, or rule of an individual. That's what a kingdom is. You know, uh, years ago, um, late 1800s or so, they would talk about the kingdom of Great Britain. Okay? And so, and then Jesus came to earth. A kingdom is any place that is under the authority. Well, the kingdom of God is under the authority of God. And then when Jesus came to the earth, before he died, he would always tell us, I don't do anything except what my father tells me to do. Everything I do is, comes from my father, who's the authority. And so you have the kingdom of God, 
and the kingdom of heaven is under the authority of the kingdom of God. You need to understand that. And now the kingdom of heaven is not only ruled by God, but by the king of kings who is Jesus the Christ. And so many times those are uh, interchangeable. And then in verses 13 through 20, Jesus gives us an explanation of the parable of the sower is what he does. And there are a multitude of wonderful truths that can be extracted from that parable. But I want to explain only two things for you. To, to, probably I won't get to all to them. I What's the matter with my mouth this morning? Um, I only want to explain two of them. I probably won't get to both of them today. But see, this parable describes the different ways that we listen or receive the word of God. That's what this parable is all about. And the dividends that each of those different ways that we receive or listen to the word of God pays in our life. It's just that simple. Um, you know, um, when I used to work for um, Texas Instruments, uh, they were very good about sending me to training. And they would come to me and they'd say, hey, we have this training. We'd like you to go to it. And I would read up on it and what it was. And sometimes I would say, no, nah, I really don't need that. And so there are things in our life that we topics that we listen to or uh, places that we go or people we talk to that really aren't interesting and so we don't receive what they're saying. Well this parable talks about uh, how we listen or receive the word of God in different places and then the dividends or the harvest that we get from that and understand how we listen and receive the word of God in our life will determine the results that the word of God will produce in our life. Let me say that again. How we listen and receive the word of God in our life will determine the results that the word of God produces in our life. Way back in Genesis chapter 8 verse 22, I believe it is, it says this, Noah came out of the flood and the Lord said to him, as long as the earth remains, there's going to be summer and winter, springtime and fall. Do you remember what the other two are? My favorite. Seed time and harvest. Seed time and harvest. As long as the earth remains, there's going to be seed time and harvest. And notice that the word of God, well, let's, let's just read the parable now. In verse 13, he explains it to him. Well, verse 13, he says this. And he said to them, he's just getting ready to explain the parable. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? In other words, what God is saying to him is simply this. If you don't understand the rules, if you don't understand the rules that it takes for us to receive the word of God, how are you going to receive anything else? from the kingdom of God. How are you going to do it? You're not. And so let's let's read this what the parable says. Now the sower sows the world, I mean the sower sows the word. The word is the seed. And these are ones by the wayside where the word is sown and when they hear Satan comes immediately and takes the word that is sown in their hearts. And I'm going to stop there. 
And I just want to share with you probably, I'm only going to have time for two of them today. And so the seed in this parable, it says, the sower sows the seed, the seed is the word of God. Now what's interesting to me is the seed is very, very little. Now I'm not an agronomist and I'm not a farmer, but a seed is very little. But in itself, it has a life. I mean, you stick it in the ground, it grows. Now, Dennis, you're a farmer. And um, you've got one little seed. Now, when that seed comes up, let's say you plant corn. When that stalk comes up, does it only have one little piece of corn on it and that's it, nothing else? No. It doesn't? What does it have, probably? Big ear. Okay, does it just have one ear? No. How many approximate average? Most time probably one or two. One or two. Does each ear just have one little piece of corn on it? Okay, what does it have? Two to three hundred. Two to three hundred. So if you have two ears, you could have anywhere from four to six hundred little bits of corn. One little seed. One little seed. And it does that. Now, it has life in itself, that little seed, just like the Word of God does. As a matter of fact, in John 6.63, Jesus said, My words are spirit and life. But in that seed, as you just heard from a farmer, that seed produces more than just one little piece of corn. In other words, it could produce up to 400 maybe to 600 grains of corn. It's the same thing with the Word of God. One small verse can produce a large harvest in somebody's else, in somebody's heart, in their life. You don't believe me? Look at Romans 10, 9, and 10. Two verses. 44 words is all it is. Okay? If thou shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Two verses, 44 words. And yet, the harvest it produces in an individual's life is huge. It brings eternal life to that person. It totally changes their behavior patterns. It frees them from the capacity or the captivity of drug alcoholism and, and, alcohol and drug abuse. And it mends, it can mend relationships between a husband and wife or a, a son and a, a daughter or a, um, a, a father and a son or a father and a daughter or a mother and a daughter. And it makes huge, just one little word, and that's what the word of God is like. And so God compares it to a seed. And it said it's sown by the wayside. Now that's interesting. Uh, you can take that to mean a couple of things. Number one, you know, Jesus said, broad is the way or narrow is the way. He said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus talked about the way. That could be the people that come to church but aren't Christians. They want to hang around the way, you know, the road, the Christians, but maybe they've got a stubborn heart. Or uh, by the wayside could mean that you hear the word of God at a, what I call at a glance. In other words, you might be home and maybe the TV comes on and there's a tele-evangelist or somebody preaching the word, but you're out in the other room, you're doing, you're doing whatever it is you're doing. And you're not focused on the Word of God. Or maybe you come to church, but your mind, 
your mind isn't on the message. Maybe you're thinking about where can I, where can I con my mate to taking me out to eat so I don't have to go home and cook, or or you're thinking of your checkbook, or maybe you didn't you saw the 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 title of the message and you thought, well, I'm not interested in that before you even hear it, and so your mind's a mile away, or maybe you're sleeping, drowsing. Could be a lack of interest in the subject, maybe. But the Word of God is being presented, but you're just not focused on it. You're distracted. And then the Bible says Satan comes immediately, immediately to take it away. Now the word Satan in the Greek is the accuser. That's the word. And I think that's interesting because... Here's the key. If Satan can't get you to doubt God's goodness, he is going to try to deceive you into believing that you're not good enough to receive the things of God. He'll bring up every past sin and failure you've ever committed, even though you may have repented. He's going to bring up everything and say, well, see, you're not good enough. Do you know what? He hasn't changed tactics in thousands of years. If you go back to, go to Genesis chapter 3 real quick. Keep your finger in Mark. Go to Genesis chapter 3 real quick. Are you all here this morning? Yes. Yeah, okay. In Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent, I'm starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Well, that was a lie because God, I don't see where God said they couldn't touch it, number one. But notice what Satan says. The serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For the Lord knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. In other words, what he was trying to do here, it says that Satan comes and he carries this away right away. He was trying to get her to doubt the truth of God's word. Right there. Did God really? No, he didn't. You're not really going to die. And you know what? No matter what you've done, if you've repented, God's not only forgiven you, but he's forgotten you, forgotten your past sins. And you, we were talking this morning in Sunday school class about what they had to go through to have their sins not forgiven pushed forward a year under the Old Testament. Now under the Old Testament, once a year, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. But before he went, he had to wash his hands a certain way. He had to put on a, a robe a certain way and tie it and a headdress a certain way. And then he had to have an ephod, which was kind of like a breastplate, and it had 12 jewels in it, and those jewels had to be set in just the right way. And then he had to have an animal that was perfect. 
In other words, it had to be the firstborn, it had to be a male, it had to be perfect, no bones broken, no defects at all. And then that priest, and just before he went in, you know what they'd do? They would tie a rope around his ankle. Because if he got in there and he messed up, he was dead. And they'd pull him out and another one would try. And their sins, if he made it and sacrificed it, their sins weren't forgiven. But after a year's time, the guilt and remembrance of that sin was brought back on them. Now, I'm 79. And I know this is going to come as a shock, but I wasn't perfect all those 79 years. Okay. Now, I didn't think it was that funny. But, <laughs> uh, but anyway, I would hate to have all those sins come back and remind me every year. But I'm under the new covenant. And you know what that is? 1 John 1.9. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But Satan is accuser and he will come to you and make you believe because of what you've done, even though you've repented. You're not worthy of God's goodness. In myself, I'm not. But because I've made Christ Lord of my life, because of who Jesus Christ is for me, I am. See, I am. I've been made worthy by Jesus Christ. But he'll do that. He's the accuser. As a matter of fact, in the, in the, the original there, it makes, calls Satan. He's pictured by birds. And I think you were the one that was telling me one time you went out and spread some lawn seed on your lawn. And didn't you say, in no time at all, you had birds all over the place. Why? They wanted the seed. And they come and and so the words sown by the wayside, in other words, it's somebody who hear the word of God, but it's kind of, well, you know, our mind's somewhere else, and we're, well, you know, I'm not trying, you know. And you don't receive it, and right away Satan is there to take it away from us. You know why? Because Satan knows the power of the word of God. Why? It was, used to it was used to defeat him when he tempted Jesus three times. Jesus three times said to him, it is written, it is written, it is written. And God used his word to create the heavens and the earth. He spoke it into being. That's how powerful his word is. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 1 and 3 says, he upholds everything by the word of his power. In other words, he's so powerful, God said to the earth, you're going to spin and here's the orbit you're going to take and guess what it's been doing. That's how powerful his word is. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews said the word of God is alive and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Satan knows how powerful the word of God is. And he knows it's a seed. And he knows that that seed, if it gets inside of us, will produce a harvest of the things of God, the good things of God. Only good things come from God, the Bible tells us. I can give you scripture after scripture after scripture on that. And so the sower sows the seed, which is the word of God, and it falls by the wayside. In other words... 
we're not giving it our full attention. And so we leave ourselves open for the enemy to come in and just like that steal it. And notice, no harvest, nothing. Why? The seed's gone. Let's go to the second one, verses 16 and 17. Mark chapter, here we go. These, now the second ground that it's sowed on, verse 16, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. And afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Okay, the first one was sown by the wayside. Now this one here is sown on stony ground. And notice this, it was received. As a matter of fact, it was received with gladness. In other words, this person makes a superficial response to the word of God. It's an emotional high. Maybe they liked the story. Maybe it brought back memories of their childhood or, or some other time in their life when things were better. And, and so they just, boy, they receive it. Yeah, this is really great. But it's mental ascent is all it is. It's mental ascent. It's an emotional high. And they may even come and they may even, right where they're at, they may even make a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because they're just emotionally stirred. That happens a lot when you get an evangelist who comes or a missionary. But notice, it says it in verse 17, it endures only for a time. It hasn't had time to sink in. In other words, they haven't made it a part of their everyday life. You know, we can come to church. The only time I, I'd go to church was if I wanted to make an impression on a girl or wanted to take her out and I wanted her folks to think I was a goody-goody so I'd go to church with her so that when I asked her out for the following week she'd go with me. That's, you know, I mean, and so, but it endures for a time. They haven't made it a part of their, their, their everyday life. And so when tribulation, the Bible says, and persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now that word stumble is really interesting. It, it is the word scandal, scandalizo is the word in the Greek, scandalizo. And I want you to know I spent 20 minutes learning to pronounce that. <laughs> it comes from the Greek word scandala, scandalon, where we get our word scandal from. And it means sin or to be offended. And so here is this person. They come to church. They hear the preaching of the word of God. Not some religious, watered down man's version of the gospel. But they hear the gospel about the goodness of God. And they come and they get excited about it. And they go out. And maybe they even make a profession of faith. And... They share that with someone. They tell someone. And that individual about their profession of faith, or maybe they tell them, boy, I heard this wonderful message. Boy, this was so good. And that individual makes fun of them. 
What's the matter with you? I remember when I uh, came to know the Lord and I quit playing in nightclubs and I went to work as a sheetrocker, drywall, hanging drywall, and I was apprentice for a while. And uh, there was a guy there who would do the mudding, taping and floating. And so he, I would normally be doing this new home and he'd be in the house we had just finished. And so at lunchtime, because he played musical instruments, I would go over and eat lunch and sit down with him and we would visit and talk. And I remember him always saying to me, you know, Owen, you seem to be one of the most intelligent people I know. As a matter of fact, if I had a business, I'd have you run it for me. But how can you be so dumb and stupid is to believe stuff like that. And I could have been, I could have been offended by that. But this individual that is on stony ground, okay, they tell somebody about it and it makes fun of them and the person feels that the cost of their being made fun of, being looked down on, is too great. And so they abandon the truth they've learned. That's the stony ground. Remember, the sun came out and it withered it because it didn't have any root. And so they quit coming to church or they quit listening to the word of God, reading their Bible. And now they're missing out on all the wonderful, wonderful things that God has for them. All the wonderful things. And notice, even though it was good seed. Listen, the word of God's good seed. It's good seed. There's nothing wrong with it. For the seed sown by the wayside and on stony ground. Notice there's no harvest for the things of God. None at all. And as frustrating as that might be to the sower. Think of what kind of frustration, frustrating life the person who has allowed the word of God to be stolen from must be having. Stop and think of that. I made this statement here several weeks ago, but it's really apropos here. Do you realize that for a non-Christian, earth is the only heaven they'll ever know? But for a Christian, earth is the only hell we'll ever know. That's pretty potent stuff. You know what? Amen. Thank you, sister. And so, as frustrating as it might have been for the sower, it's got to be frustrating for the person who has allowed the word of God to be stolen from them. Their life's got to be frustrating. The individual who heard the word of God received no benefit at all. And it seems, matter of fact, as if they've wasted their time even listening to the words of God. And so they are left with barren soil. Nothing there. The seed was sown, but it was taken up. And you know what's interesting about barren soil? Not even... Not only does the, is the soil right there barren, but you know what? It affects the soil around it as well. Mm 
it affects the soil around it as well. When Adam and Eve sinned, if you go back and read it, the ground was cursed for mankind because of his sin. But Christ came and was crucified and died so that we could come out from underneath the curse that is not only on the earth, but upon mankind, making us that barren soil. See, we don't have to be that. And the curse is that law of sin and death that permeates this earth without Christ. And although we can, although someone can make a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and go no farther than that, they will inherit eternal life and they will be saved from the lake of fire. But there's so much more to the Word of God than just that. There's over 3,000 promises in the Bible that can be applied to us as children of God. 3,000 because of Jesus' death and resurrection and the fact that we're under a new covenant. I, I know you know this, but we have here what's called the Old Testament and the New Testament. The word testament is simply a covenant. It's a will. And a will goes into effect after what? Someone dies, right? Okay, so you have the Old Covenant and you have the New Testament or the New Covenant and you know what? It's in fourth because the guy that made the covenant with God the Father for all mankind died. The natural Jesus died naturally on the cross. And the moment he died and rose from the dead, guess what? That new will, that new testament came into being. Came into being. But if we don't know these promises, over 3,000, if we don't know them, or if they aren't rooted and grounded in us, in our mind, we're going to receive little or no benefit from them at all. Little or, or no benefit. I don't mind telling you, I have been hungry for 50 years for the Word of God. And I still love it. There's so much good stuff there. And this is what Jesus is talking about back up in verse 13. I'm going to close with just these two, stony ground and, and um, the wayside. But look at verse 13. And Jesus said to them, do, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? There's a verse that goes along with that. And you don't have to go there, but I love it. Uh, just because it's a source of... What's the word I want to use? Motivation in my life. Because it just... I, I, when, when things get a little rough, I look at this and... I, I read this verse and another one and I get, oh, I'm going to go forward. Uh, Jeremiah 12, 5. Jeremiah is going through a tough time. And he's asking God, God, why, why do people who are sinners, why, why do they, what, they just aggravate the fire and just, he was just upset with people. I know none of y'all would do that. But listen to what he says in verse 5. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, how then can you contend with horses? 
In other words, if uh, what Jesus is saying to this, concerning this is concerning this prophecy now, is this. If you don't understand the rules you're to observe concerning the kingdom of God and the word of God, how then shall you profit by any other rule that's there? How are you going to do it if you can't understand this? In other words, if you run with horses and you go, oh, oh, oh. I mean, if you run with the footmen, with people, and they, oh, oh, and they wear you out, how are you going to run with horses? You won't even get started. In other words, maturing. He's talking about maturing here. And he's trying to get them to understand. If you don't understand the rules, I'm trying to get you to understand concerning the Word of God. How are you going to, how are you going to profit by any other rule? Isaiah 54 and 13. Isaiah, I'll teach you in the way you should go. I'll teach your children. Let me close with this. The word of God's going to get sown. You're going to hear it one way or the other. That's, you know, when I went to Africa, there were people, we would visit a village every day and talk to the pastors. And I was probably only the second, and I felt sorry for us, only the second or third white man they had seen. What a nightmare for those poor people. <laughs> now that's not that funny. <laughs> but, the Word of God, they just, and I would trust, I would pray this morning, my prayer in closing is that no one here is hearing by the wayside or no one here is stony ground. Let me just tell you, Jesus said you'd be witnesses. A witness is somebody that's observed something. I can tell you, even with the loss of my wife, there's only good things in this book. And God's only a good God. And the more you get this book inside of you, the more the good things of God can flow into you and out of you to others so that you can be a blessing. Let's pray. Lord. How wonderful is your word. And Lord, I would pray this morning that there's no one here that's by the wayside. In other words, there's nobody here that hasn't made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've made it so easy for us. And Lord, I would ask in the name of Jesus that we not be stony ground. Lord, help me never, never to get complacent about your word. Doesn't matter how long, how many times I've heard John 3.16. Let it never, let me never become calloused to the truth of that love that you have for me. Lord, help us. Because you have such wonderful good things for us. And Lord, I thank you. I seal up your word in, in, in this people. So that when they leave here today, the enemy can't steal it. Whether it be through an individual that comes along and just aggravates them. or The enemy can't do that. 
I seal it up. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, next week, I will go ahead and finish the other two.